0: Rangers, game two of the World Series. Coverage begins at 415 on Arizona Sports 98.7 and the Arizona Sports app. Hour
1: number two of Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister here. We're talking all things Diamondbacks today, and we get it. The team lost yesterday, but we need some fun injected back into Diamondbacks talk. And a couple of weeks ago, during the NLCS, A very ominous pair of arms and a piece of paper holding a sign that said, Snakes Alive, caught absolute fire. And it was at that point that I knew I wanted to know more about the person behind the sign. And good news, we found him. We got him. His name is Jeff Gazzardo. And I have him listed as the Snakes Alive Revolutionary. Is that a good title for you, Jeff? Marketing genius. Good.
2: Whatever you want to call me, I'm happy.
1: So happy to have you in studio, too. Oh, jeez,
2: thanks for having me. This is, this is a really a nice deal. This thing has turned out to be uh, quite a phenomenon. But, you know, it's all about the Diamondbacks and the fans and the players and the organization that... Creating this sign was just something I thought up of in the morning before I went to the game. And I got to thinking, how about a little sign? Because I'm not a big guy about big poster signs and standing in front of people. Mm -hmm. So I said, how about this eight and a half by 11 sign? I'll type up something like, and something hit me, staying alive, shakes alive, snakes alive. And I thought, snakes alive, that's a good one. So I just typed it up and I put it in my bag on the way to the ballpark. And before the game started, I actually had the sign when Torrey was sitting there close to the dugout, and I showed it to him, and he kind of acknowledged, and then Banny Bannister walked by, and he kind of acknowledged. And that's how you know things happen. And then, of course, I had no idea, and I stood up with the sign, basically in between innings, because I'm not one to stand up during the ball. I got my binoculars. I'm a baseball fan. I love (laughs) to watch the players. I love to watch the umpires. I like to get right down there and, you know, see the action and, and see what's going on so i stood up you know basically during in between innings and i had no idea A camera caught me on it i didn't see it and really hear about it until i got home when i watched the replay and that was it
3: funny how that happens uh did you experiment with other because what i love about your sign is it's so minimalistic right it's not bombastic it's not these big signs that block the people sitting behind exactly. you and all that stuff. What made it so great was it was so simple, and it's it's the most basic font. I think it's like
2: Helvetica or
3: something, yeah. one of the better <laughs> basic fonts. Uh, did you experiment at all
2: with anything, any other options for a sign? The only thing I did was I knew I had an eight and a half sheet to work with, so as I typed it out, I kept increasing the font size because I wanted it to get big so I could, it'd be visible. Mm-hmm. And so I got it to the biggest size, and it ended up being on, what, two lines? Um, And that's how I just played with it. It just happened that that font was in my, you know, computer at that time.
1: I want to ask you about the growth and the resulting of you holding up Snakes Alive. And immediately the next day, there's a sign that says Snakes Alive in like every seat in Chase Field. And you had mentioned, too, that... Even you didn't predict that this would
2: catch fire the way that it did. No, not at all, Mitch. When uh, I was concerned after the sign was made and it was out there that I, my intention was not to take away from any trademark or infringe upon anything like that. And that's what got me a little bit nervous. And uh, the next day when my son said he saw it on the chairs, uh then it really made me nervous <laughs> you know, so what i ended up doing <laughs> what was, did i do <laughs> i started i started to search and then when the shirt came out yeah um, i saw tori and Banny wearing the shirt and the company that made the shirt um i didn't see any registered logo on it or anything but there is a website now that i'm doing some research research on it just to make sure to cover myself because my intention wasn't to hurt anybody or understand mm-hmm. french so
3: what did you do with the original, the original Snick's Alive <laughs> sign? Do you have it? It's somewhere. It's <laughs> somewhere. You know,
2: I, I, after the ball game was over, I went over to Engine 6 where my son works at the fire department. And I just mm-hmm. raveled up the sign and, and, and threw it in. And I, you know, it was hectic getting out of the stadium. It was traffic. And I just put it in my briefcase. And I thought I did. but. I got home and it wasn't in a briefcase. I looked underneath. So I don't know where the original sign is. I may have left it at the station. What do you want to do with it? Um, I have no plans for it. I mean, to me, again, it was just a sign. Can I have it? (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, you got tickets left for the games? <laughs> oh, I know, I know.
3: We'll see what we can do about that. I was going to say, if you if you did, if you you didn't have plans for it, we'll have you sign it and put it up on the wall in well, the studio. Or I, I
2: printed some more out, and I'm going to sign a couple for you guys. I oh, that's really cool. I appreciate that. Me, yeah. really that's cool. really cool.
1: So I want to ask you, because you mentioned you're a big seam head, big baseball nut. Um, when did you start becoming a fan of the Diamondbacks?
2: I moved here in 86 uh, from illinois to uh, be the executive director of the ymca in Tempe. i worked for the valley of the sun ymca that's how i got out here um when i came out here uh, i think it was what 70 97 this was the year they started construction on the stadium 96 97 and our corporate office is right downtown on central avenue and i drive by for monthly meetings on this thing this building going up bank yeah. one and counting down the number of days before the stadium was going to open and uh that's kind of got you know i got hooked on it you know coming from the midwest and uh being a big chicago fan white Sox fan and then having moved out here um, i still followed the cubs but this was my my thing is to, to be a hometown guy and support the hometown team that's when it was. So, if me- I
1: could, sorry, if I could quickly tangent then the '93 NBA
2: Finals. Who were you rooting for, oh. Chicago or Phoenix? Um, I was here. I went to the celebration downtown. Oh, you did? Yes, I wow. was here. I didn't leave here until '99 to go over to San Diego and take a position with the YMCA out there, uh, and then after 22 years, I moved back here. But I was here for for the uh, big parade downtown. And matter of fact. Um, I was down there and happened to run into one of my friends that played for the California Angels and we kind of made acquaintances again. That's awesome. How many games do you go to
3: then? If you were at the NLCS, that's no easy ticket to come by. You're clearly within you know, visual distance of the management in the dugout. So how many games are you going to these days?
2: I went to, to two of them. I went to the 19th playoff game. And prior to that, I took my family. Uh, my son-in-law and daughter came over and grandson from San Diego. We went to a game. And then prior to that, I spent the summers basically over in San Diego. So I took them to a Padres Diamondbacks game. If I'm going to go to a ball game, I'm going to pay the money to sit up front and close and be close to the action. But, you know, I'm an avid avid fan, you might say, and I don't go to a lot of games, so, you know, I can afford a good ticket and that's what I did. We're joined now by
1: Jeff Gazzardo, who I'm calling the Snakes Alive revolutionary and he might just refer to himself as a big Diamondbacks fan. So, we had World Series Game 1 last night. I presume that you're going to make your way out there again, to Chase Field for one of these games upcoming,
2: correct? I have a ticket for Tuesday night's game. Perfect. And that's it. So I'll be there Tuesday night. Um, What's your sign going to be? same sign i'm doing my same, same thing Love same it. sign and again you know you won't see it until it's in between innings i'm not going to stand up there and you know block because that really bothered me when i went to ball games and saw these big signs and you know people would be in front of you and they had the right to do that i understand but um, i'm not going to do that
3: you don't feel any sort of pressure to come up with the next big thing like you came up with snakes alive it caught wind it's it's viral. You don't have any sort of pressures internally to come up with the next thing that could win them the World
2: Series? (laughs) I got something in my back pocket, but I'm not going to say it right now. So there might be something in the future here.
3: Working with the Dynamax marketing
1: team secretly under the table or something?
2: No, no, no. No, (laughs) no. Come on, This is my thing. This is (laughs) just
1: (laughs) you and us
3: talking here, man. Come
1: on. We're just teasing, of course. So you mentioned you
2: used to work for YMCA. Mm -hmm. What, What was it that brought you to that sort of career? Um, I grew up in the boys club at the time in the 50s and I was uh, I had a father figure that was a musician on the road a lot so the local boys club was my place to hang out so there was you know the coaches and played my sports there but we also heard down the street there was a YMCA and girls could go to the Y but back in the 50s we didn't wear swimsuits Hmm. so we thought you know you think they're all swimming together down there they weren't but you know what was neat they were roller skating in a gym all afternoon the girls and the boys so that's how I got my introduction to the Y. and then when I got into um, a junior college and looked at a career uh, and I stuck with the Y. uh, they had some opportunities for me to be a camp counselor and one thing led to another and I had a 40-year career You know, it was interesting because I worked for an organization that was very mission driven and it was about people It was about developing relationships with people. And as you can see, I'm I'm a people person and have a gift for gab and (laughs) that's what led me to it. took my first job in Moline, Illinois at the YMCA there, and then from there spent uh, 13 years, came out here to Tempe, uh, raised and helped oversee the construction as their executive director, spent 13 years, went to San Diego and then the same thing in Oceanside, California, and now I'm back. I moved back two years ago.
3: So you saw, obviously, this team in the World Series. You saw the 2001 team. Who would win in a best of seven? 2001 Diamondbacks or 2023
2: Diamondbacks? Boy, you know, those two teams are, are, you know, they're they're very similar in ways. Um, But, you know, when you look at, Randy Johnson and um, um, Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling, Schilling and Gonzo. Gonzo, and those guys. It, it's hard to say, and I, I really can't pick one or the other, but I really enjoy watching this young team. They're young players, they have a lot of giddy up. Uh, you never know what's going to happen with them. They're going to come on, and we'll um, see what happens.
1: Jeff Gazardo, the Snakes Alive Revolutionary, joining us here in studio on Arizona Sports Saturday. of game two tonight. I want to say first, thank you so much for getting back to me and coming in and joining us and talking about your story. And also a thank you to your son, Matt, as well for alerting me and making it so that I could even contact you in the first place. Jeff, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks Thanks, for having me, guys.
3: The snake's alive guy.
1: Snake's alive guy. All right, coming up next, Steve, the lineup's out and there's something to talk about here. And we're going to next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: backs Rangers, Game 2 of the World Series. Coverage begins at 4.15 on Arizona Sports 98.7 and the Arizona Sports
1: app. Arizona Sports Saturday continues here on 98.7 FM. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. Um, I'm, st- I'm still kind of amped up that we just got to talk to Snakes Alive guy.
3: I can't believe Jeff. you found him, to be honest. I, and I mean, because the uh, picture on the broadcast was just his hands holding a piece of paper. just. holding it like alive. over his
1: head, and you could recognize the hat. He was wearing the exact same hat today. We took a photo. We'll post it
3: later. But yeah, that was just that was a nice little injection of good. And honestly, we need him now more than ever. Yeah, Diamondbacks are down one game in the World Series. This is about as snakes alive of a time as we've ever been in. He said he's going to the game Tuesday. That's Game
1: Four. He's hopefully going Wednesday if there's a Game Five. That'd be awesome. We're gonna feel it. All right, so we're pivoting because the lineup just dropped. Game two. Game two. You stop me when you want to talk about somebody in particular. Okay. Leading off at second base, Cattell Marte. Hope the hit streak continues. Right field, Corbin Carroll. Typical. Catcher, Gabriel Moreno. Earned it. First base, Christian Walker. Eh, Hoping to get more out of him. DH, Tommy Pham.
3: Yeah. Left fielder, Lardis Gurriel Jr. Makes sense. Center fielder, Alec Thomas. Interesting. Okay, so this is interesting because Alec Thomas normally doesn't start against left-handed starters. No, he does not. Jordan Montgomery pitching for the Rangers today. Uh, So Alec Thomas against the lefty starter. Now, I imagine he might get, what, two plate appearances against Montgomery?
1: It depends. If, If the way that the lineup is constructed right now is going to lead to success... You're relying a lot on Cattell
3: Marte, Corbin Carroll, and Gabriel Moreno, are you not? Yeah, so here's the thing, and, and I know I had this debate about, do you start him versus Ranger Suarez? I had that debate with, not not just you, but like a lot of other oh, friends we, too. We were
1: pleading for it. Um, they won well, game six, they forced a game seven, and Alec Thomas has been one of the bigger heroes of this postseason.
3: I wasn't pleading for it. Here's why. In this postseason, very small sample size because they haven't played Thomas against lefties very much. But he is the only Diamondback hitter that doesn't have a hit against a lefty, right, right? in the postseason. Part of that is because of the small sample size. Part of it is because of his regular season numbers. And I know a lot of you rolled your eyes just now. Regular season numbers? Who cares? But Alec Thomas does not hit lefties effectively. That's just a fact. Yeah, I'm not denying that. The reason why they don't play him Uh, splits for the 2023 season for Alec Thomas versus righties, he's been significantly better. Against lefties, he hits 143 on base 175. I don't want to make this all about numbers and analytics because he is swinging a hot bat in the postseason. He hit that game four, two run homer that basically saved their entire postseason. Uh, He hit another homer in Game 5. He continued to play a big role in in the games after that. I think it's interesting that they decided to go with Alec Thomas because I think that they would rather just have the hottest bats out there than continue to try this righty versus lefty thing. Here's
1: something else that maybe we should consider as well in this decision. The ballpark dimensions at Globe Life Field. What did we notice happened a lot? Yesterday, there's a right field porch. There's a porch in right field and the ball dies in left the ball dies in left And it is a cavern out in center field. Yeah, who would you rather have in center field for if nothing else this game defensively? That's what you're getting at. Yes. Yeah, it is 407 to dead center 410 to the corners just on the left and right side of dead center. You've got the bullpens which create a bit of a obstruction I guess, for a lack of a better word, Alec Thomas, Gold Glove center field candidate this year, easily a top defensive outfielder. Period. You need him out there, especially in a ballpark like this. So even if it has nothing to do with the fact that you just want your hottest hit out, hitter out there, excuse me, you need your best defense out there.
3: Yeah, and I think, to uh, think about the opportunity cost of starting him, right? Really, all you're missing out on is the extra right-handed bat in the lineup, and that would be Emmanuel Rivera. Mm-hmm. It's really the only one you have other than Jordan Lawler, and it appears that they're just not ready to play the young kid yet. And the World Series is not the right time to be experimenting. I, experimenting, sure, but he's never going to get an opportunity if they don't give it to him. Well, he's going to get the opportunity next year, and I know that that doesn't help them win the World Series now, but I— we we can have the Lawler conversation get, yeah, all we okay. want. He wasn't going right. to start today. Okay, it just wasn't going to happen. Sure, but Rivera could have because that's what they've been doing in the postseason. Is they usually put Rivera in usually at third or you know DH, and then Longoria does the other one. Tommy Pham would slide out to right field. Corbin Carroll would slide to center field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue that Corbin Carroll is not a big downgrade from Alec Thomas defensively in center field. He's just as fast. I think his arm is just as good. But it's the right field downgrade. That you get with Tommy Pham. He couldn't get to a couple of balls in the NLCS. Mm -hmm. Um, I think with some of the guys in this Rangers lineup, Adolis Garcia is fast. Uh, Evan Carter is fast. Corey Seager is fast enough. And so those balls in the gaps that you're talking about at the deepest part of the ballpark, those singles turn into doubles. Those doubles turn into triples. And you're right, Alec Thomas can go a long way in trying to prevent some of that. I mean, we were
1: talking about it when uh, we had your buddy Alex Plink on earlier, and yeah, how yeah, the Rangers do kind of have a bit of a speed threat, but it's more about running the bases after contact, not necessarily running the bases when they get on base. Like Leody Tavares is their their best stolen base threat. I would say Semyon, but Semyon is hitting below two hundred so far in this
3: postseason. I don't think that'll last forever, but so the way. there's
1: not a ton of. Aggression coming from the base stealing aspect, but there is a ton of aggression coming from the fact that if you poke one out into that right center gap or that left center gap, definitely two, maybe three bases as a result. Corbin Carroll last night tripled to that right center
3: field gap. It's pretty easy for a guy with good legs to get an extra base if they want to. Yeah, let's see how Thomas does in his couple of at-bats he's going to get against Jordan Montgomery today. Um, Just historically speaking, he just can't really hit the lefty very well.
1: I'll be honest. I don't think I'm asking for all that much. I just feel better knowing that he's in there. Because it's it's one of those you never know what can happen kind of scenarios. Yes, he's stunk against lefties this season. But maybe he's motivated by the fact that he does get an opportunity today. Against the
3: lefty, all things, in the world series. All things being equal, who would I rather have at the plate against a lefty, Alec Thomas or Emmanuel Rivera? I would take Emmanuel Rivera, sure. But not all things are equal. You talk about the defensive factor in center field, such a pivotal position, especially in this series.
1: Well, it's not. It's not even just the center field position; it's third base too. Rivera hasn't been very good. Because you bring Rivera in, you prioritize him defensively over Evan Longoria, who's they have, yeah. older, and Longoria becomes the DH. So you're not only weakening one defensive position, and you're weakening three. Center, right, and third base. Having Alec Thomas in the lineup is the best move defensively. And again, I go back to the
3: dimensions of this park. You need your best outfield out there. And they have that tonight. I don't disagree. I don't I don't mind this move today. In the NLCS, we talked about it a lot, and against Ranger Suarez, I said the same thing uh, about Emmanuel Rivera, that he's the better hitter, that I'd rather get two at-bats against a lefty with him than Alec Thomas. And I still feel that way, statistically speaking, but this feels like the first time that Torrey Lavello in this postseason has gone against the analytics. Yeah, And it feels like maybe a bit of a pivot for him.
1: Well, the obvious stick to analytics is Cattell hitting first and Corbin second. Yeah, they've done that against lefties. If he really wanted to go crazy, we would have seen a few more lineup adjustments. But I think he's rolling with the
3: guys that helped get him here. I don't think there's a lot you could really do. And I think he likes Perdomo in that nine spot because he is... He's a reset the lineup kind of hitter. Right. He's an on-base kind of guy, singles approach. He's not going to hit a ton of homers despite the fact that he hit two in the postseason. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot you could do to this lineup to, to fundamentally change it. Um, it's still a predominantly right-handed hitting lineup. Really, the only lefties are Carroll and Thomas. So and I, Carroll's I, pretty solid against the left-handed pitcher. Yeah, I don't mind this lineup today. And we know Cattell can mash from the right side of the plate.
1: Yeah, he's almost a be, he's almost a better hitter from the right side of the plate than he is lefty, and he's been crushing
3: on both sides of the ball. The more interesting question about who plays today to me, and maybe we get into this coming up next, So is, just tease it, just tease it. Okay, so let's talk about this. Yesterday, the bullpen, which has been so solid throughout the postseason, had some really laborious innings. 28 pitches for Ginkle, over 20 for Seawald. So which of their best pitchers are available to go in Game 2? More on that next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: t Rangers, Game 2 of the World Series. Coverage begins at 415 on Arizona Sports 98.7 at the Arizona Sports app. During the game one loss,
3: Kevin Ginkel threw 28 pitches in the eighth. Paul Sewald threw 22 in the ninth. Kyle Nelson, for what it's worth, threw 24 in extra innings. So if all of the best pitchers in the bullpen had laborious, long innings. It's a fun word. Laborious. Laborious. I'm saying it as many times as I can. I don't don't know if you notice. Laborious. Laborious. I hope it means what I think it means. Um, You keep using that word. Sorry. Laboratory. (laughs) Um, If they're all overworked or if they've pitched enough already in game one, are they available for game two? I would imagine if you have a one, two, or three run lead going into the ninth, Paul Seawald's pitching still. I don't think that what happened yesterday Look, uh, we know how this works. prevents him from being the closer again. We know how this works. When the ninth inning rolls around
1: and it's a safe situation, quote, it's time for Paul Seawald to pitch, quote. It is time. It is time. Keep, <laughs> keep your uh, hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times during the, uh, the Paul Seawald experience TM. Look, I get it. The pitch counts were high yesterday, but I think if there's anything that we've learned about how Tory Lovello has managed these games these postseason, everybody's available at any point in time, no matter what they did the day before. So if they're in a save situation again and Merrill Kelly is able to get through six innings, I kind of expect Thompson, Ginkle, Seawalt. I'd be surprised if it's anybody
3: else. Ginkle hasn't given up a single run this postseason. Don't jinx it now. No, no, no. My my point is simply, he's thrown 10 innings, which is second only to Ryan Thompson in the bullpen who threw 11 and two-thirds so far. Ryan Thompson has been your reliable multi-inning guy. Now, it usually doesn't result in him pitching two full innings. It's usually like an inning and a third, inning and sure. in two-thirds, whatever it is. I mean, he But pitched, he can come in in the sixth. He pitched two full innings worth of pitches last right. night. Well, Thompson threw, what, 17, I think it was? Uh, it was Ginkle who threw 28, which you're right, is about two innings worth. Thompson also allowed a hit and a walk, so a couple of right. base runners doesn't really give you great confidence. Yeah, 17 pitches, but either way. The only guy that pitched last night that barely threw was Miguel Castro, and that's because he gave up a home run to end the game he on five pitches. He faced one batter, he got 0.0 innings. Right. Joe Manteply was the best out of the pen last night. It just makes me wonder who's available. Now, to their credit, Luis Frias is a guy who doesn't pitch much in the postseason, but has been good when he does. Throws hard. Uh, They still have Andrew Solfrank, didn't pitch in Game 1, who pitched in many of their other postseason games. So they have options available to them. And I'm I'm with you. Nobody has excluded themselves from Game 2. There's nobody off-limits, I don't think.
1: Well, I mean, they used a good chunk of the pen anyway. Yeah. The only guy who I consider is only really break glass in case of emergency kind of thing is Ryan Nelson. And that's not to say that he's the stopper. That's not to say he's... Only, well, actually, it is to say he's really only for a certain situation, and that is if you're getting blown out, you get exploded early on or you're getting blown out late. That's yeah. really the only time he comes in. That's why Slate Ciccone
3: is not on this World Series roster right now, because
1: they're prioritizing hitting over pitching
3: for this one. I think you're right. The other half of the equation, I do believe it's at least half of the equation, is how deep Merrill Kelly goes in this game. And that's a question not only of how well he does tonight, but it's a matter of when Torrey Lovello decides is best strategically for them to move off of their starting pitcher. Mm -hmm. We've seen him have two very good—I thought he was very good in the second start, obviously, in Philadelphia. But even the first one, he only gave up three hits, I think, and they were were home runs. So, like, you look at his numbers in the postseason— Merrill Kelly has been fantastic. Two and a half ERA. He's got the uh, the three starts he's made, 17 innings, only well, the had, five earned runs. He had the
1: cathartic outing against the Dodgers where he had six shutout innings in a place where, and at against a team that he has had no success against in his career.
3: And then None. you get the incident. I'm going to call it the incident. It wasn't a big deal. The incident. Where he gets pulled going into the, was it going into the sixth? It was, it was after the fifth yeah, so he after comes the down fifth
1: and Tori Lovello extends the handshake right and he's like bleep you <laughs> Not really not not I mean, actually I I don't want to I don't want to discredit he Merrill or Played Denise it Merrill.
3: he played it like he was surprised and maybe he legitimately was because he was doing really well He, he was, was on dealing. fire he was dealing struck out two of the best hitters in the lineup in that inning And when he came off the field Tori Lovello kind of made it clear you're not you're done Like, you know, you did your job, let the bullpen do theirs. We've got our plan. It's going to be fine. And in hindsight, the bullpen did good, and they closed that one out for the win. Um, But with that incident having occurred, I wonder if we find ourselves tonight in a situation where Merrill Kelly is absolutely wheeling and dealing through five, and they come across a situation similar to that where... Strategically, it makes sense to go to the bullpen, but Merrill is dealing is Tory now more likely than ever to leave him in Because of that incident or does that have no bearing whatsoever on how he manages this team? No, I think the bearing comes from the what we just talked about the pitch counts were very
1: laborious for the bullpen last mm-hmm. night I think the hope and They're probably gonna plan it out this way, too I think the hope is is that Merrill is just so darn good that he can cover six innings and if you can get through those six innings, you only need three guys to finish the job, right? And maybe the situation won't even necessitate Thompson, Ginkle, Seawald. Maybe the situation will be so heavily favored towards Arizona that you won't need a shutdown closing situation because you have enough separation. Do I think that's a scenario that is going to happen? <laughs> Absolutely not. This Rangers offense is just, they're too, just too good. They're too damn good. And we saw that already last night. So my hope is, and I'm sure Tory is telegraphing it the exact same way or planning it out the exact same way, is that let's hope that Merrill gets through six and he sets us up that we either go to Thompson or Sol Frank or Mansply, whoever it is, and then Ginkle and then Seawald and that's it, game over. Then you come back to Chase Field with a series tied at one. Yeah, That's what I feel like he's planning for. I don't think this is a Merrill Kelly, we need you to pitch through five, And when you get through five, we're good. No. Well,
3: it depends on who's at the plate.
1: Sure. But I think the bullpen outings last night have made it more so that reliance on Merrill Kelly will be emphasized a lot more than reliance on the bullpen. Uh, Whereas they needed the bullpen last night because Gallen was here and there.
3: I found this interesting. Randy Johnson was on our news station the other day, Mm -hmm. uh, just yesterday, and was asked, do you see yourself in any of the Arizona Diamondbacks pitchers? Now, that's kind of a leading question, right? Yeah. Like, we all kind of know. <laughs> it's It's got to be Merrill, right? And immediately, Randy Johnson, of all people, says, yeah, it's Merrill Kelly. And that's the guy that he's chosen to in the locker room to get to know the most. And I find that very interesting. He admitted, like, yeah, I know who the other guys are. But I haven't sat down and talked a lot with Brandon Fought. I don't really know Zach Gallon, which I was a little surprised by because I thought Randy would attach himself to one of the better pitchers on the team. Uh-huh. He said Merrill Kelly. Not that that's a surprise to me at all. With the competitive nature, Merrill Kelly wants to be out there for all nine innings, and that's no slight to his teammates in the bullpen because sure. he is. He even admitted after that incident with Tori Lavello last time he pitched, he's like, "Listen, that's Tori's job is to go with the best person for that job, and Tori approaches it very." Uh, very focused on the inning. It's Each the, inning is a job. He's got the blinders on kind of thing. Each at-bat is a job, if you want to think of it that way. And because of the way the rules have changed, where now relievers have to face at least a minimum of three batters, you have to look at the job as the next three hitters in most scenarios. Right. And so Tori looks at it very narrow like that, whereas Merrill Kelly's looking at it like, listen, if I'm doing the job well, don't stop me. Mm-hmm. Don't get in the way of a good thing. Don't fix what ain't broke.
1: Well, that's just also the managerial approach too. And I think this more than ever is an example of how two different managers from two different "quote unquote" eras approach the game. Now, Bruce Bochy, he's managed a team to three World Series in five years, so I think he knows what he's doing. Whether he goes with the old head of you know just trusting your gut kind of mantra or whether it's going with what the numbers say and building your game plan around how statistics produce and et cetera, et cetera. I think that Tory Lovello has become very locked into that. Gotta follow the game plan because the game plan's gonna work and the numbers say that the game plan's gonna work and that's fine. As long as you allow variability, because if you refuse to break from a game plan and don't allow the wiggle room for some sort of a variable to wreck said game plan, the series could be over faster
3: than it started, in my opinion. I think I'm hoping for six out of Merrill tonight. I agree. I think that's the number I'm settling on. What happens if he allows a
1: run in, let's say, the second inning, and it becomes laborious, and he gets to 50-ish
3: pitches by the third? here's the thing about that. And gallon has been going through this more than Kelly necessarily, but... I mean, Kelly had 90 pitches in five against Philly. Right. You start to get into a groove. Both of them have in their own ways. Mm -hmm. They, even when they struggle early, they settle in really well. We even talked about that with Gallen last night. Um, So if Merrill Kelly gives up a run early or, or two runs early, I'm not necessarily thinking that that means he needs to come out. I mean, this is a guy who labored through that Phillies lineup. And Like they're as dangerous as anybody, but he looked better in the sixth than he did in the first Or in the fifth sorry in the fifth inning than he did in the first And so I don't think that getting into some trouble early is necessarily a bad thing You talked about how great this Rangers lineup is you're gonna run into trouble eventually You're not getting by scot-free against this lineup. I mean if you do you're really really lucky and on your game and the other part
1: of it is is if the Rangers have the advantage in the later innings there are three guys that they didn't get, or is it three or two, that they didn't have to see out of the bullpen last Spores. night. Spores. Josh Spores and Aroldis Chapman.
3: Yeah, Chapman's kind of, more hittable these days.
1: Sure, but he still throws over 100 miles an hour.
3: Yeah. And, and he's, he's got post. that pedigree. weird arm angle coming in where he holds the ball back far enough that you don't see it until it's, it's past you. I'll draw a comparison to the NLCS. I think that Aroldis Chapman and Jose Alvarado are kind of comparable hard-throwing lefties. Um, they have kind of wild motions at times, like the ball is kind of coming down on you a little bit. I feel like their success against Alvarado could play a factor in how they face a Chapman. I know they're two different guys, and, and it's a little bit different, but they had some level of success against Alvarado, and that gives me confidence. Coming up next, we only
1: got one segment left, so we're going to give you our final thoughts ahead of Game 2, which is coming up later tonight. We'll do that next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: Diamondbacks Rangers Game 2 of the World Series coverage begins at 4:15 on Arizona Sports 987 and the Arizona Sports app
1: Looking forward to that game 2 tonight from Arlington, Texas Diamondbacks down 1 game to none early in the series of course it's early in the series there was only one game played so far Mitch Fereldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. We are your Arizona Sports Saturday crew. and We're going to close here. We're doing kind of a deep look at tonight's starter for Texas, and that would be Jordan Montgomery, who was acquired midway through the season, just at around the trade deadline, acquired from the St. Louis Cardinals, who acquired him from the New York Yankees the year prior. He's going into a contract year. And I tell you what, Steve, just on a base level, He's going to get paid this offseason the way he's pitching right now.
3: Yeah, I thought he would be a guy that the Diamondbacks would target at the trade deadline. And for all we know, maybe they did uh, and just didn't have the package to get it done. I even did my best Photoshop of him in a Diamondback set, (laughs) which is to say it was not good Photoshop. Dang it. Uh, He has five starts in the postseason and his most recent appearance on October 23rd, which is now five days ago. Only two and a third. And I'm guessing because that was an elimination game. So they used him in a, in a very unique spot. But I would think that Jordan Montgomery wants to have a performance that's deeper into the ball game. His first uh, start against Tampa at Tampa Bay, seven innings, no runs. Seven innings of work in a postseason game is kind of it's against rare. the trend it's in rare. baseball. Nobody yeah. gets there anymore. Uh, six and a third on October 15th against Houston, no runs. That's five and a third good. on October 20th against Houston. Again, two runs. So my point is Jordan Montgomery, much like Merrill Kelly, could very well go deeper into the ball game tonight than the starters did yesterday.
1: And something that caught our eye before we were going to have this conversation was the batting order that the Diamondbacks put out there. Yeah. The notable being that Alec Thomas is playing in center field and hitting seventh tonight. Not something that has been the case at all this postseason, being that when a left-handed pitcher throws, Alec Thomas gets to seat, gets to sit, at least for some of the innings. He comes in later as a defensive replacement or a pinch runner. I've seen that a bunch in the Philly series. He doesn't hit lefties very well. He doesn't hit lefties, and that's fine. But he's in the lineup. He's going to have to face Jordan Montgomery at least once, if not twice or more. How should Alec Thomas be approaching it? And the first thing I think of is... Count approach. Count approach meaning, all right, so first pitch comes in, what do you get? What is the batting average against that Jordan Montgomery allows after in this account? So we're using fan graphs because apparently there's some discrepancy with a different website we were using. So we're using fan graphs. So if Alec Thomas were to swing at the first pitch, Jordan Montgomery is allowing about a 236 batting average on the first pitch. If it falls to 01, it c- continues to go in Jordan Montgomery's favor. If you're able to work the count even all the way to 3 0, which hasn't happened a lot for Jordan Montgomery, he's allowing a 462 batting average against. But the rest of the batting average against very much favor Jordan Montgomery. So you almost have to wonder is it worthwhile to just go after the first pitch if it's a good one?
3: Yeah, I don't know how his approach is different against lefties because we just haven't seen it a lot in the postseason. I think he has like five at-bats. He's the only player on the Diamondbacks team that doesn't have a hit against a lefty pitcher Uh in this postseason. So take that for what it is. I think what that should tell you, though, is that Torrey Lovello has been hesitant to play Alec Thomas against left-handed starters because he figures I can get two or maybe three at-bats with a righty, an extra righty, against the lefty, and that would be well worth it. And then you bring out Thomas into the game as a defensive replacement or a pinch hitter for Tommy Pham or something later in the game. That's how they've been handling it. It appears that tonight uh, the gloves are off with Tory Lovello, and he's just kind of shaking things up a little bit.
1: I wonder if Tory Lovello saw this too. Jordan Montgomery against left-handed batters this season. Only 25 in a third innings, so it's a small sample size, but a two seventy-seven batting average against and close to 30% of runners allowed on base. Lefties hit him pretty well. They see him pretty well. Lefties when he's pitching at home. Again, small sample, 12 in a third innings, but a two ninety four batting average against and a two seven on base against. This might actually work in the Diamondbacks' favor if Alex approaches these at-bats correctly.
3: Yeah, there could be something to that. Uh, keep in mind, too, I mean, this is another one of the 23-year-olds, right? I was reading the game notes for tonight's game. Alec Thomas became the youngest Diamondback to start in center field in a World Series game and was the youngest MLB player to start in center field in a World Series game. Since- Isn't it Mickey Mantle? No. No, 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 much more recent. 2019. Oh, okay. Victor Robles. Oh, kind of forgotten member of that Nationals team. But it just reminds you that, okay, while we are getting better defensively, we're also replacing, essentially, in the outfield. You're replacing Tommy Pham with Alec Thomas. Tommy Pham, obviously, the, the, you know... Veteran player that he is at this point in his career. You're not so, losing so, him. He's still in the lineup. Still he's the recovering
1: DH. from a turf toe injury that they, they haven't really put yeah. him in the outfield all that much, only in these scenarios.
3: I, I don't know how much that's impacted Tommy Pham defensively. Uh, I don't know he's either. not the greatest defensive player they have anyway, so mm-hmm. it's not like it would be a huge setback. Had but a nice sliding catch. Yeah, the he's games, been okay. But- um, but yeah, I imagine that this move is not just offensive oriented because I think if all things are equal, you probably go with Rivera over Thomas, but mm-hmm. all things are not equal. You, you get the huge defensive upgrade in the outfield, which is something with guys like Evan Carter and Adolis Garcia in this opposing lineup who can turn a single into a double easily the way that Carter did yesterday or turn a, uh, you know, get a guy from first to home instead of first to third with a ball in the gap. Alec Thomas plays a pivotal role defensively
1: i tell you what else, too. There weren't a lot of scenarios for Jordan Montgomery in this, but high leverage situation seems to be pretty favorable to Jordan as well. Eight and two-thirds innings pitched in high leverage this season, an opponent batting average of 214. Hmm. Now, granted, he allowed 12 earned runs, 15 in total, but he, alone, he only allowed six hits against 36 batters with 10 strikeouts. So situationally, Jordan kind of understands the setting, per se. And, I mean, even if we want to go base statistics, you talked about some of the lines he's put up this postseason. Seven shutout innings against the Rays on the road?
3: Yeah, That's hard to do in any ballpark. And it's kind of like the chicken or the egg thing, right? Like, did he go deep into the game because he was dominating, or did he dominate because he was going deep into the game? And it's it's hard to, you know, decipher that. That is very chicken and egg. Nice job. Um, Here's an interesting stat. I'm still reading from the game notes, so I apologize. No, I'm just kind good. of picking up on things as you're we good. go. You're good.
1: Let's just read statistics
3: to close <laughs> the show. That works for me. How about this? The D-backs are 6-1 and one this postseason when they record one or more stolen bases. And that one loss? Yesterday. Was yesterday. Because they had four. And I thought they were aggressive on the base pads the way that they were in games 6 and 7 in Philadelphia. And I think that's a big testament to why they won that series. Because they made Philadelphia beat them defensively, which they just couldn't do. And I thought they did a lot of that last night. You know, there were some opportunities where Jonah Heim could have made throws that got guys at second base, but didn't. They've made other plays defensive, Other players defensively have to beat them, and they didn't. So I think that that's a way that I hope they continue to play. I'm also looking at the game notes now,
1: too, since you brought it up. Um Lots of good stuff in there. The Diamondbacks were pretty well rounded offensively, too. They became the first team since 2005 and the ninth team in postseason history to have a double, a triple, a homer, a stolen base, and a sacrifice hit in a World Series game. The last team to do it being the Chicago White Sox in game one of their World Series in 05 against the Astros. Being well rounded offensively for a team that doesn't have, I mean, they have a defining characteristic of their offense. But to offer that well-rounded approach, it's gotta be a benefit, right?
3: Even though they lost? I would think. So interesting that Tori Lovello decides to change up the lineup just a little bit tonight, going with Alec Thomas in center field against the lefty Jordan Montgomery. We'll see how that goes and if that decision pays off for him. And you'll get to hear from us more later after the game is done. So yeah. if you weren't already sick of us, you get more of us. <laughs> game two tonight, 5 first pitch. You're going to want to hear it here on Arizona Sports. Mitch and I will be back after the game with all the posts game reaction we'll go out live to arlington talk with our d-backs insider alex weiner as well and recap everything that goes on and get you ready for the return to chase field at the start of next week for my co-host mitch Vareldis, for trevor henry behind the glass for snakes Alive guy who was in studio with us today i'm steve zinsmeister you've been listening to arizona sports saturday